I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics from personal stories to hot button issues. We cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday. So make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspective. All righty, all righty. Oh, right, all right, all right. (laughs) I know. That's literally... Uh, it's actually one of the very first that is the first thing I have written in my notes here we are again (laughs) yeah I mean uh, okay so we are going to talk about of course the shooting the mass shooting that happened in Boulder Colorado earlier this week Uh, but before we get to that I actually wanted to open um, the show with something because I was going to say it at the end but then I also know that I think sometimes when we get to the spiel at the end people kind of tune out which no judgment because I do that all the time on I podcasts. was gonna say I think I usually turn it off during the spiel unless I know like there are some shows I listen to that have like bloopers at the end or like little things yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so no judgment no whatsoever. judgment no um but I did want to say that um I am currently doing a drive for our unhoused community in Los Angeles uh, for hygiene and menstrual care products because I noticed that I had a lot of Ipsy bags left over because I signed up for Ipsy at like the beginning of lockdown just because, you know, the only way to differentiate between days is the days that the packages come and the days that the packages don't come. (laughs) So I needed something every month to like look forward to. Um, But they give you little bags every month. And I'm like, I don't need these. They're just clogging up my closet. I use maybe one or two of them to travel. And everybody I talked to said the same thing about their Ipsy bags. Like they just, they end up throwing them away or if they can't bear to throw them away because it's wasteful, they just clog up, you know, all of their storage. I've got like a big bag with, smaller bags within the bag 
That's how I stored some of yes. mine. And I think most of mine I must have thrown away because I haven't done many of those subscriptions in a while, but I used to have so many of them. Right, exactly. It's and easy to I, collect. <laughs> it, it is, and like, I didn't need them. So I, mean, I can totally understand it gets to the point where it's like, okay, I either take these to Goodwill or I throw them away because y- you don't no, need... And- 20 yeah, of but them, you know? what you're doing, I think, is such a great idea because it's something that I've thought about doing for a long time and just never actually put, you know, thought into action of, you know, creating, like, little feminine hygiene care packages or different things like that. I think that's the best possible use for those bags possible. That's awesome. So what what can we do to help support you in this venture? What what can we do? So, thank you for asking. Um <laughs> If you go to my Instagram, which is Keegan.Winfield on Instagram, um, and go to the link in my bio, it will take you to a Amazon wish list uh, that has items that you can purchase and have sent to my house. Well, uh, Keegan, uh, why don't we put that in the link in our bio, too? Okay, sounds great. We can yeah, also put it that. in the link in our bio. Um, I'm going to be doing this, I think, until the end of April. And if it if I don't get enough bags, you can also donate bags if you want to DM me to figure out how to donate your Ipsy bags to ship them to me. You can do that as well. Um, but if I run out of bags, it's okay. I'll just take the products to um, the shelter if if that's what ends up happening, or you know, walk them down to right and still an get them community. donated. Yeah, they will be donated regardless, so right. don't worry about any of that. Keegan's um, not going to be hoarding tampons at her house, although right. that would be tempting. <laughs> exactly. I mean, exactly. So I, I will not be doing that. <laughs> but you can go to the link in either our show bio, my personal bio, um, to purchase things off of the Amazon wish list if you I wish to that. contribute. So. Yes, and that kind of leads me into the first thing that I wanted to talk about today, um, which is a situation that is happening in Echo Park here in oh, LA right now. Oh my gosh. I I literally just I was just looking at this before we started recording. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. It's it's pretty terrible. I mean, and if you're not from Los Angeles, you I don't I don't know how interesting this will be to you, uh, but it hits very close to home for us. Well, I was going to say, I think it's a problem that is represented in many different parts of the country, especially when it comes to, you know, our homeless population and how they're treated. So I think it does. I think it does still hold true in a lot of other parts of the country and other parts of the world. But being in Los Angeles with such a large homeless population and so many different areas where you know, they will tend to congregate to be together. So that kind of is, I guess, uh, yeah. some background into this area. Yeah, so if you don't know about L.A., I mean, Fox News likes to talk a lot about the unhoused situation that we have here in Los Angeles um, in very derogatory ways. But in reality, it really is not that surprising for a number of factors. I mean, first of all, good weather, <laughs> yes. which is always going to attract people who have to live or make shelter out of doors yeah um then of course the pandemic put a lot of people in a financially um difficult situation also a lot of people are drawn to los angeles for art work (laughs) as actor performance opportunity um and it's not always easy to sustain yourself that way and you can very easily uh, find yourself in a situation where... Well, yes, and uh, housing costs and, mm-hmm. I mean, everything is just so much more expensive here. So if you aren't making a lot of money and you don't have any other sort of support system, 
falling into homelessness is incredibly common. Right. And then we have situations like this. So let me go into it a little bit. So if you don't live in L.A., I wouldn't expect you to know about Echo Park in general. But for a little bit of background, Echo Park started out as a largely working class Latinx community. But over the last 30 years or so, it has been gentrified more and more and is now seeing like when I think about Echo Park, I think about this like kind of white hipstery part of town. I was going to say, yeah, Echo Park. Echo Park and Silver Lake are very, very yes. hipster. Yeah, and there's yeah. been a lot of gentrification. I don't think of it in the way that it was originally, you know, there at all. You know, it's no, been it's neither. very, very full of snobby white people. Right, which is, you know, part of the problem. I mean, and Echo Park is a fun place. Like, I, I used to go to Echo Park in Silver Lake for dance clubs i was gonna say the LA bars used are to be great there. there's a lot yeah. of good, like live music often in echo park but yeah and there's a lot of great street vendors as well there's still mm-hmm. echoes <laughs> of <laughs> that um of that latinx community yeah uh, but because the high rises were going in new condos were going in it was basically pricing out longtime residents of that community and just completely changing the demographic mm-hmm. so there's always been a large unhoused community that um took residence at an encampment at Echo Park Lake, which is kind of in the middle um, of Echo Park. And when the pandemic really started kicking off last year, this encampment really started growing. And over the course of a year, there have been um, dozens of tents and hundreds of residents set up in these tents. And they've essentially made the lake their home. They've really made a community there. Mm-hmm. Um And as things have started to reopen this month and vaccines have started to roll out, the local, more middle-class residents of Echo Park are starting to whisper that they want this encampment dismantled before things are fully open. And meanwhile, again, like this community has really grown. There were two um, residents there who got married at an event that was attended by a lot of the, um, you know, homeless residents that live at the lake. It was covered. Yeah, it was covered by the LA times. There's really a lot of solidarity between the people who live there. Right. And, um, notices started to pop up from the city, basically saying that those who live at the echo park lake had to clear the premises. And this started circulating and anti gentrification activists and housing advocates just went right into action. Right. And so earlier this week, the community was set to be dispersed. So they basically barricaded the entire lake in an effort to force them out. Like they were going to try and like force them out. Um, But a lot of groups rallied together to form a blockade to protest the removal of the people from the Echo Park Lake. The city keeps saying that it is going to move them into hotels, these people into hotels, yeah, okay. um, or or f- provide resources or support for them. I haven't seen anything. I've, I've looked at a few different resources um, or sources, and I haven't seen concretely what their plan is. It's just this kind yeah. of abstract thing. That seems like a nice way to placate people that might be concerned by saying that, oh, yeah, we're going to take care of it. Don't worry about it. But then not actually have to give any sort of details because that's enough. You know, like, oh, OK, right. taken care of. Great. Yeah. And to me, it's just so just it makes me very sad and very tired that there's this lack of empathy 
not for one moment can you think about what it must be like, especially all of us had a rough year last year. Every single person had a rough year. Think about what it would be like to have very, very little. And basically, this is what you have as this community um, and this home. This is your home. Right. And you you have nowhere else to go. Right. Right. And there's pandemic-induced poverty. There's a lack of affordable mental health services, increasingly expensive neighborhoods um, within the city of Los Angeles. None of this is likely to go away anytime soon. So just shuffling human beings who don't have shelter from yeah, one part of the city solve, to another part of the city. Doesn't right. solve anything. Yeah, right. there's nothing exactly. that it's doing. I was actually quite touched to see, I can't remember which like overpass it is, but there is an overpass in my area where they've almost kind of set up like a like leave what you can, take what you want kind of mm-hmm. thing. I don't know what to call it, but like it's almost, I it looks that. like a little thrift store in an like overpass under a highway and it's just kind of like take what you need and there's blankets and books and it's just like different things that I think people have dropped off and I think that that's really wonderful and I think that having you know those those small things as far as like you know the things that you own but also your community is so important and so hearing that they are having to be forcefully forcefully dispersed yeah, where are they supposed to go? You know, right. like, I mean, I think that's, that's why they're the there. Because here's the thing. We can understand why maybe there's an infrastructure issue um, with having that many people essentially living in a place that's not really meant for people to be living in. I understand. Of course. I understand that. But you have to, they're spending all of this money, all of these resources to pay all of these people to get them out, to For helicopters to be circ- circling, mm-hmm. uh, all this stuff when Why can't needs- that money go into resources? Exactly. It, to help these people because like the the quote unquote problem as you see it is not going to go to way, go away and in fact it's only going to get worse as LA for whatever godforsaken reason wants to host the Olympics here mm. um, I don't know what's going to happen to a lot of these people and I just think that it's really inhumane to say like I don't know where you're going to go but you can't stay here essentially exactly. to, to these people and there are alternatives you know in North Hollywood, they have built uh, the first tiny home community for unhoused people who are looking to take the next step to get on their feet. It's basically like a um, they have security on the outside and it's all walled off. And they have taken little like containers, like storage containers, and yeah, created these two-bedroom. They're like two container bedroom. homes, right? Right, container homes. So not two-bedroom, but two-bed. They have two right. beds. They have heating and cooling. They have security. Um, they're given three meals a day for people who are looking to um, es- like escape homelessness, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And I-, I understand these programs aren't free. I understand that they're not cheap. Uh, but if we could reallocate some of the funds that we are using to create um, more problems, almost it right. seems like, you know, putting it toward a solution. That we have that like is meant to stop um, unhoused people from sleeping on bus benches and things like that. All of these things we have built and spent money on. Right. That, and so I do also want to shout out John Cryer, the actor John Cryer. Um, he has donated a bunch of money to create a similar 
small home community that's fantastic uh, in, in another part of Los Angeles. So hopefully this is a trend that will take off and we can just show a little bit more empathy and compassion for people. Especially with the unbelievable wealth in this city. It blows my mind with driving around and doing deliveries for so many like rich Beverly mm-hmm. Hills oh, yeah, yeah, like yeah. families and kids. The amount of wealth in this city just blows my mind so when you drive through those canyon roads and you get into the hills and you see just these huge, mm-hmm. huge houses and these huge pieces of land and it's and then you go down the hill into the valley and it's just completely different. Right. It's just the, so, the wealth disparity. It, it's such a weird place. Yeah, the wealth disparity is really upsetting. Um, like, why can't that be spread around? If I had that kind of, of money and I was living in that kind yeah. of house in Los Angeles, and I think it's because I know what it's like to be of a very course. poor person, yes. I would feel such guilt in my comfort knowing that so close by to me there are people that are uncomfortable. So I appreciate the fact that there are celebrities and famous people out there that have the money that are willing to notice a very specific issue such as homelessness in Los Angeles and be able to do something to directly help change that instead of just having it be some sort of like, you know, grand gesture or post online or anything. You know what I mean? Like that is actually something that's going to help. And I appreciate that. Here's how I feel about that. Like, you're entitled to the money that you've worked for and nobody is asking you to give up everything, right, for other people. However, like, these people are still living in comfort. Like, John Cryer is still living in complete comfort. Well, Two and a Half Men was one of the, like, longest mm-hmm. running, most successful sitcoms right. of its time. He's set for life I mean, no matter he, what he does. He so. is set for life yeah so the I mean and that's the thing that enrages me about so many people that don't help that when I hear of celebrities being awesome like that it makes me well and there are a lot of ways to help like like I said you know you don't have to have a lot of money to find a way to help your community there's a lot of ways to help so yes that's 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 the that on that anyway (laughs) yeah So before we start talking about the shooting in Boulder, Colorado, I will give some context before I start talking about the rabbit hole that I went down. You know, we we discussed the the I don't know what we're calling it, the salon parlor shootings last week. Yes, in Atlanta. Um, In Atlanta and. You know, thinking about how, what more can I say? What different things can I say on this topic when, you know, now we're opening back up again, these mass shootings are going to become more and more prevalent. So I went down a bit of a rabbit hole of statistics just to look up um, how many mass shootings there have been so far this year, because I've seen some different things up on Instagram and stuff like that. But then also looking into just the trends throughout the years um, to kind of paint a picture as to how this has changed. And I'm not going to ramble on for too long because this is a mini episode, but I just want to tell you all a few things. So according to Wikipedia, and now I went to a couple different sources, but all of my sources pretty much got their numbers from uh, Gun Violence Archive. But according to Wikipedia, who you know sourced the Gun uh, Violence Archive, says that there have been 119 mass shootings in 2021 alone so far. I did the math. There have been 131 deaths as a result of mass shooting, and 359 have been wounded. We are three months into the year. Right. That mm-hmm. is absolutely insane. And I've, I've so, heard a lot of people saying, you know, like, oh, one of... One of the silver linings of the pandemic was that, hey, at least mass shootings were down 
We maybe even said something to that effect last episode. It's possible. I think we probably have. Um, And while that's true, judging by the metric that most people judge, quote unquote, mass shootings by, that might be true. But actually, you know, I was listening to the Zeitgeist and I I can try and find the source if necessary. But um, they were saying that while mass shootings might be down, gun violence and gun related deaths actually went up over the last year in the United States. Because self domestic violence, hate crimes, self harm, self harm. Yeah. Yes, many. But then I also think that there's a, a misunderstanding about the definition of what a mass shooting mm-hmm. is. So there are a few different definitions of you know different people want to call it different yeah. things. But it's pretty much understood that a mass shooting is defined as an incident in which four or more people, excluding the perpetrators, are shot in one location at roughly the same time. But like I said, there are people that disagree with this such as the Congressional Research Service that narrows it down to public mass shootings defined by four or more victims killed, excluding any surviving victims. Um, So that narrows it down to make it look like there's less. So as far as the frequency goes, studies indicate that the rate at which mass shootings occur has tripled since 2011. And a lot of these studies date back to 1982. So between 1982 and 2011, a mass shooting occurred roughly every 200 days. So roughly one every 200 days between 1982 and 2011. Between 2011 and 2014, the rate accelerated to at least one mass shooting every 64 mm-hmm. days. Within So from 84 to 2011, all the way, you know, from 200 to 64, it's absolutely insane. And that it's just accelerating more and more with frequency. And much like we've discussed on this podcast with this topic, according to the New York Times, the majority of perpetrators are white males who act alone. There is a progressive magazine called Mother Jones that has been tracking Mm -hmm. mass shootings since 2012. And as of the 121 mass shootings they tracked from August 1982 to March 2021, 55.3% were white. And of the 121 mass shootings, only 4% were female perpetrators. Mm -hmm. It was actually only five women total. According to Mother Jones, the proportion of male mass shooters is considerably greater than the proportion of males in the population. Wow. Absolutely insane. And they say that across all races, ethnicities, and gender, the average age of a mass shooter is roughly 35 years old, though it ranges from age 11 to 66. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, so both of really, these in the last two weeks have been 21-year-olds, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so uh, let's talk a little bit about what happened on Monday. Uh, Monday, March 22nd, 2021, a mass shooting occurred at the King Supers supermarket in Boulder, Colorado. Ten people were killed, one of them being a Boulder police officer. Uh, Keegan, I know that you kind of have a breakdown of everything that happened that day. Do you want to just kind of start with um, when the shooting began around 2.30 and discuss what happened? Yeah, well, I actually began a couple of days before that because I think that this is important information. Um, on mm-hmm. March 16th, the shooter or the suspect yes. rather purchased an AR-556 pistol, which is an AR-15 style weapon. It is an automatic or semi-automatic rather 
um, weapon. And this particular weapon has been used or, you know, AR-15 style weapons have been used in the majority of mass shootings uh, over the last decade or so. Uh, They are the one weapon that I feel like most people have been most vocal about advocating for their removal or at least not making it so easy to be able to purchase it. Yeah, have laws be changed surrounding it. Right, because, I mean, this 21-year-old went in, purchased this weapon, and a couple of days later, on March 22nd at 2.33 p.m., Boulder police received calls about shots fired at King Super Grocery Store. Um, A person with a patrol rifle, this AR-15 rifle, was reported in the area, and so police dispatched... um, were dispatched to this area for a shooting in progress. Um, A couple of minutes later, the dispatcher said that we had an active shooter. The shooter was described as a white male, middle-aged, dark hair, beard, black vest. Um, We now know that... Which turned out to be like tactical gear. Right, right. Yes, and we now know, you know, I haven't sought out any pictures of the shooter. I have no desire to look at them. I haven't... Yeah, I have not sought them out, but when I was doing research, I saw his mugshot and I found a photo from when he was arrested. Do you want to talk about about that weird tidbit oh, about when do you Please. Well, he was naked. What? He was Yes, you didn't he stripped his clothes off down to his boxers and when he was surrendering, okay, let me get to that part of my notes. He said Yeah, so when he was surrendering to the police, he was heard saying, I surrender, I'm naked. So in the picture, he's just wearing what looks like a pair of like burgundy or brown boxer shorts. And that's it. He's not wearing shoes. He's not wearing anything else. And he's handcuffed and being taken away by the police. So he was wearing like a bulletproof vest. And he had something else on him, didn't he? I can't remember what it was. I'm kind of jumping between two parts of my notes. Um, But I wonder if as part of kind of the surrender and showing that or maybe getting them not to shoot. I don't know. He was taking off the, the tactical gear. I don't really know what his thought process was with getting almost completely naked. Um, but that was how he was found when he was arrested. Interesting. No, I hadn't heard that, surprisingly. Um, oh, I thought you were going to mention that right away because when you mentioned the tactical gear, I was like, well, he didn't wear it the whole time. No, what I was going to mention is that he is described as a white male who's middle-aged. Obviously, he was 21. He wasn't middle-aged. Uh, and yeah. there is, some, again, I haven't seen a photo of this person, um, but there is some... Given his name, there's some speculation about his ethnicity. Oh, he's he's a Syrian immigrant. His family, I don't know if he himself was born in Syria, but I read that his family was from Syria. Um, his brother discussed him being a bit paranoid, discussed uh, bullying that he went through a lot in school because of his name for being Muslim, his ethnicity, things like that. Obviously, none of these things are excuses for doing what he did. But there was some looking through his Facebook pages and stuff already uh, and messages where they're seeing that there was some paranoid behavior, uh, especially what's weird is because he hasn't been in high school for a little bit, but I guess he was convinced at one point, according to his brother, that 
people from his old high school were breaking into his phone. Okay. Yeah. And that they were following him. Yeah. So there's there's other interviews and stuff that, you know, we obviously can't give 100% credence right. I to mean, any of that. I don't know. We don't know his but, motive. Uh, what we do know is what his friends and family have said, that he is likely mentally ill. Um, but <laughs> that makes it all the more kind of shocking that he would be able to purchase a semi-automatic weapon that easily, right. you know, with because yes. there weren't any checks in place really uh, to stop no. him from being able to purchase a weapon like that. Right. And if you are aware that, like, I, I always wonder if the family is aware of the weapons, if the family is aware of any sort of behavior, you know, I don't know if he's living with his parents right now or what's going on, but I feel like... If I was aware of somebody in my life that struggled with mental illness, I would not be cool with them having a gun. Period. Right. I mean, I would. That would make me incredibly nervous for their own safety, for others. They safety. very well might not have known, you know, because this is a twenty-one-year-old. Even if he was living at home, I think it could be fairly easy to purchase a weapon and hide it. I know, but I feel like you know, even with like his brother, I don't know. I feel like it's something that maybe I listen to too many true crime podcasts, but I feel like there's usually like some sort of information about a weapon, but I don't know. I'm digging too far into the it. The parents of the Columbine shooters swear up and down they didn't know what was in that room. So, I mean, I, I think sometimes if you really want to hide something, you can. And I don't know if he yeah. lived with them either. And, you know, so there's a lot as far yeah, as... that's that's all speculation exactly, on my point. Exactly. But. <laughs> it is speculation. But, um... Within about five minutes of the officers being dispatched, um, there were reports of bodies on the floor, essentially. So yeah. it happened very, very quickly. Outside, too, he actually shot a woman that was just parked next to his car. Um, he shot another woman out in the parking lot, I believe it was a woman. Um, so before he even entered the store, there were shots being fired. And yeah. then there were even more shots fired once he entered the store. Yeah. And about 10 minutes after shots began, um, there were reports of an officer down inside the front door. So that happened very quickly as well. Um, they surrounded the building by about 3.20 p.m. Uh, asking for him to surrender. And they prepared at that point to uh, capture the suspect before they were able to capture him there was an injury to his leg I believe he was shot in the leg uh, and he did yeah. I do have it here in my notes he did strip down to his boxer shorts before being taken into custody there you have it um, and at this point the police in Boulder put out an emergency notification basically telling people not to come out to stay away from the area not to broadcast information on social media and they did establish a shelter in place actually from about like yeah. 6 40 p.m that evening um smart yeah uh, yeah i mean just because you don't know what's going on mm -hmm. at that point and i would well and, and they weren't sure if there was somebody else involved he wasn't being very forthcoming with his answers so i think that what they did was appropriate right um around 7 p.m the police did tweet out that there was no ongoing threat that the person of interest was in custody and that he was being treated for his leg. They said that there was an investigation underway um, and began to search his residence. And then at 2.02 a.m., all of the victims were identified and the families notified and they released the names of the 10 victims. So yeah. we can go through the the list of victims here. Um, the, yes. the first up, starting with the youngest, is Denny Stong, 
who was 20 years old, which is... Unbelievable. It's just... God, it makes me so sad. Because it's just like... Well, I think back to he myself. He was paying for his lunch. Mm-hmm. And he, he was just paying... He did work there. With his buddy. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't see that he worked there. Um, I know that his friend was with him, Dean Schiller. And that was actually the person that ended up live streaming inside of the store when everything was going on. But I guess he was able to hide this friend, Dean, and was unaware that Denny was shot during the attack while he was broadcasting. And Schiller did say, um, quote, he was a really smart kid. He was trying to be an airline pilot who wanted to be a he wanted to be a commercial airline pilot. That was his dream. An interesting thing about Mm. Stong is that um, a few days before this or shortly before this was his birthday and he had a fundraiser on Facebook actually in support of gun rights because he was an active um, hunter. So, oh, wow. It's, you know, just and as someone who comes from a large hunting area, as do you, Missouri, you know, um, Minnesota are both areas where there are a lot of hunters. I understand. My family is the only non-hunters in our entire extended family. Like it's a huge thing. Yeah, it's in my it's family. a big thing throughout the entire Midwest, and so yeah. I do understand like hunters wanting those like um, wanting to protect their ability to have guns. I get that. His family and friends also did say though that he was in favor of having more checks on weapons, which I think is what the majority of us we've said on this show before. I mean, that's yes. really the main thing. I'm not trying to stop anybody from hunting. <laughs> you know. Yeah, and I mean, get me correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like um for hunting, you don't typically use no. semi-automatic no, no, no. You wouldn't. weapons, you wouldn't. correct? No. So that's the thing is that I feel that if there's going to be regulation on guns, it's not it's not the guns that you're going to be using for your recreational yes, hunting. Exactly. It's guns that can take out large numbers of people right. at a time. Because you know what I mean? Like no it's, it, there's no reason. Yes. There's no reason for – a hunter is not using an AR-15. They are not. Like no. there's no reason to have that gun – that's like if a hunter was using that that almost like t- in my opinion crosses the line into being like sadistic like that's animal cruelty then. well like i get you're still killing the animal but it's like ooh. well the issue i mean there would be no reason to use an ar-15 on an animal because yeah. if you are hunting presumably you are hunting to eat uh and an ar-15 <laughs> is going to cause a lot of damage you wouldn't be able to eat it right yeah, that's a great so point. it doesn't make sense you wouldn't that's gonna be it. that's gonna be my big uh my big argument from now on with hunters is it's like well if you use an automatic rifle you can't even eat it uh, yeah it's gonna be gone. you can't even display it in your house that's a big thing where i'm from is displaying them in your I house i feel really bad for all the vegans who listen to us right now i'm so sorry okay i mean i'm not a fan of it my dad would put we had like one really big walleye that he caught that was huge and then we had a tiny fish lamp but those were the only things that we ever had, like mummified animal. I went deep in my sea life. fishing once, and it was a traumatizing experience for me. And so, yeah, hunting is not my fishing bag. sucks. Fishing is traumatizing in general. I I know we're going long already, but my dad, when I was little, had a fish that squirted blood all over oh, me. Oh yeah, yeah. And ever mm-hmm. since that day, I was like, I'm good, and I can't touch hooks. It's it's yeah. a thing. Oh no, I'm, it's I'm not. Baby. It's not my jam at all. Uh. All right. The next so the next victim here is Nevin Stanisic. He was twenty three. 
I couldn't really find a whole lot about him. They didn't have much about him. Um, his school, the school district, released a statement uh, showing their condolences for him and his family. But yeah, there wasn't really anything that I could find about Nevin. But maybe um, maybe there'll be more in the coming days. Yeah. I would assume it would be hard. You know, these people that do give these statements about the victims, I would assume it would be very emotionally draining. Yeah, I agree. You know? Uh, Ricky Olds was 25. She worked as a manager at the King Supers Grocery, and her family mm-hmm. remembers her as loving, hardworking, and truly one of a kind. Her uncle said in a statement that no one could replace the happiness that she brought to the family and that she strived to be the best manager that she could for her work family. Yeah, Trelana Bartkowiak, who went by Lana, uh, she was 49. Her friends and family remembered her as a gifted artist who always had a smile on her face. Every time you saw her, she had a smile on her face, said her cousin. I don't think I ever saw her angry. She grew up in Southern California where she helped to raise her cousin. And he said, it's just really sad that she's gone. It's unbelievable. She had the biggest heart. She was the most loving person I've ever met in my life. And it's just so devastating. Suzanne Fountain was 59. She was an, uh, this one got me personally. Mm -hmm. She was an actress who worked with the Denver Center for Performing Arts. And they have pictures of her in costume. And I just know so many people who are just like her. And I can imagine that 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 theater community is really grieving. And they did release a statement and they said, we are heartbroken by the senseless violence in Boulder yesterday. We were especially saddened to learn of the death of Suzanne Fountain, an actress who appeared with our own DCPA theater company. Our hearts go out to everyone affected by this tragedy. Hmm. Terry Liker, 51. um, She worked at King Supers as well. She had been working there for 31 years. She was a sports fan. Um, Her partner said that what he'll miss most is just being together with her and the togetherness he a friend told cbs denver that she was one of the most innocent and caring and loving individuals they'd ever met officer eric tally was 51 he had been working for the boulder police department for 11 years uh he was the father of seven and um loved in his community from what i can find um and and the chief of police in a news conference called his actions heroic. Yeah, he was he was actually the first officer in the building for the mm-hmm. shooting. Mm-hmm. Uh, father of seven, like tragic. Ugh. Kevin Mahoney was 61. Um, his daughter, Erica, posted about her dad on Twitter and said that he represented all things love. She had a picture of them together on her wedding day and said, I'm so thankful that he could walk me down the aisle last summer. I am now pregnant. I know he wants me to be strong for his granddaughter. I love you forever, dad. You are always with me. This, that one also, I mean, all of them are horrible, obviously. But being pregnant, but to, yeah. To be pregnant, and I, I don't know, I feel like right now being pregnant would be a very isolating, mm-hmm. lonely, and very yeah. scary thing anyway. And then grief. And not being able to have, like, the grandpa experience at the end of that. You know what I mean? To share that with your dad mm-hmm. and to have your, your daughter have a grand, or right. to have your child mm-hmm. have a grandfather. Yeah. You know, it's horrible. Just truly it's horrible. so upsetting. Um, Lynn Murray, 62, she was a retired mother of two and an Instacart employee. So she was working to pick up groceries uh, when she was killed. Her husband, John, 
told CBS Denver, she's the most remarkable human being I've ever known. I feel incredibly blessed to have had time with her. It was like a comet going across the sky for 62 years. Amazing to watch. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. I want people to say nice things. I know. I'm going to freaking cry. Um, (sighs) Jody Waters, 65. She was a longtime Boulder resident. She worked at a clothing boutique um, in Boulder's Pearl Street Mall. Jody was a beautiful soul with a warm and loving heart, a mother and grandmother, and she will be dearly missed by all who were fortunate enough to know her. We are so sad. And those were her colleagues mm-hmm. uh, who worked at the mall with her. It's yeah. I, I, I wanted to give I know we're, we're long, but I just I wanted to give that because I do think it's important. I wish we I know that the families of the victims in Atlanta, a lot of them didn't want a lot of information put out there about their loved ones. Um, which is why we don't have a lot to say about them. Yeah. But I do think it's important when possible to share these real stories because these things happen so frequently, like you were saying, unfortunately, in this country, that I feel like sometimes we lose the human face or impact of an event like this. These are mothers, fathers, parents, you know, like... Mothers, fathers, and parents. Wow, um, sons, <laughs> children, daughters. You know, grandchildren. Yeah, you yeah. Know. They, yeah, there's somebody they're to somebody. Yeah, and yeah, and um, their their loss is felt, and like, I can't imagine what they must be feeling right now. So, I mean, to think about the number of people that are touched by these tragedies because it isn't just the victim or their families. It's everyone. It's the community as well. You know, they never feel safe again. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely horrible. Um, I do have something that um, I've just never done on the show before, but I'm going to do it right now. It's just a little bit more positive. There are some famous birthdays today that I wanted to highlight because these are four Really awesome people. And today, I know Thursday or today, Friday? Sorry, today, Thursday. Darn it. But I, <laughs> but I had to say this because I saw that it was Gloria Steinem's birthday. Okay, shout out. So I was like, well, I'll mention that. And then so I Googled famous birthdays, March 25th. Turns out it is also Elton John's birthday. It's my dad's birthday. We love Elton. <gasps> it's Keegan's dad's birthday. It's Aretha Franklin's birthday. Aries Nation. And the... Uh, figure skater Debbie Thomas, who was one of the very first black figure skaters to compete at a higher national level. And I believe she was a, an American skater. Well, you know, those Aries are feisty and fiery. So happy birthday. Are they, I don't I don't know as much about all of that stuff as you do. So <laughs> I'll take your word for it. Well, as a Pisces Aries, I can say. OK, that makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> oh, yes. So a little something a little bit less. Um, depressing to end the episode with. So happy appreciate birthday that. to all of those people. <laughs> yes. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to another episode. Uh, we really, really appreciate you all writing in the things that you want to hear. So if you would continue doing that, that would be great. Go ahead and email us at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com or direct message us and follow us on Instagram at angry neighborhood feminist. We have a Facebook business and group page. You can go to the group page and chat with the other listeners and go over to the business page. Leave us a review there if you haven't done so already. And if you haven't left us a review on Apple Podcasts, please do so it helps us get seen we really really appreciate it and that's all we have for you today with all of that being said we encourage you 
to, to rage, rage on. on. Bye. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.